This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Yeah, so if you've been tracking with us for a minute, um, what you've seen is that for the past few weeks, we've been walking through a new series called Counter-Cultural Convictions. Now, we've, we've been slowing down to say and point out, like, listen, we're not, we're not naming this counter-cultural convictions because we want to be controversial, right? right? And, and I, I want to say that because a lot of people do things just because they want to be controversial, right. Right. just because they want to, like, draw attention. Right. But that's not the case. We want to be faithful, right? We want to be faithful to Scripture, faithful to our King, our God, and, and, and the fact that um, having a faithful witness in a culture that is systematically positioned against God in yep. the things that it does and the way that it flows makes you contra- con- controversial, right? So it is what it is. But as we get ready for our discussion today, right, <clears throat> One of the things that, that came to mind and starting to, to, to prep this is some of you know, some of you may not know, um, me and my dude Miguel, we get to go into some of the schools um, inside the area and, and, and mentor some of, the, some of the young men that are going through a lot of struggles in school. We just go and, and, and they'll make like a, a class period that, that just for us to disciple these guys and stuff and walk through things with them, right? And... Is I started thinking about a conversation that we had with them, a recent one, and the conversation was on the topic of authority, right? Now, we start talking about authority, and all the young men inside the room, they had an issue with authority. But here's the thing that we got to think in mind. Like, they had particular people that came to mind when we brought up the idea of authority. Some of them was like bringing up security guards. Some of them was bringing up teachers and parents. But but particular people popped inside of their minds, right? And the reason why these particular people popped inside of their minds was because of how they exercised authority, how they walked inside of it. And there was even this one point where where one of the, the, the gentlemen said, listen, just the idea of someone having authority over him made him feel oppressed. Just the thought of it, just the idea of it. He says that, and even as we start to prep for this, I realize that most of us struggle with being under authority more than we are willing to admit or even know. That's the reality of it. Like, he is just freed up to say whatever he wants to say, and we are more better at trying to conceal it. But deep down inside of our heart, most of us wrestle with the idea of authority at, at some level or, or, or another. And that's mostly because of our rebellious hearts, right? That's one. But the thing that teams up with that is how we've seen authority exercised. We've seen it exercised in a lot of broken hurtful ways, and then the enemy uses this to harden our already rebellious hearts against God, right, even even further. So inside of culture, inside of society that we live in right now, there is a general lack of trust for those that are in positions of authority. 
It's this a general lack of trust. And reason being is that we have this feeling that we need to fend for ourselves here. We need to fend for ourselves. Um, we don't trust. I don't feel that that person in authority actually really loves right. us. Right. We don't feel that that person in authority actually really cares for us. That, that, that person actually has our best interest in mind. Now, I'm not here to paint the picture that, that that's wrong. Because the reality of it is that in the culture that we live in, it's a culture where the abuse of authority is normal. That's the reality. It's normal. The abuse of authority is normal. And the reason being is because of the idolatry of power and control. Some people want positions of authority just because of that. They want positions of authority planning on abusing that authority and leverage it for their, their own interests, right? But that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not the way it's meant to be. That's not the way it's supposed to be. See, authority, when exercised in the right heart and spirit, it serves to the flourishing of the people that are subject to that authority. That's, that's the reality of it. It's to, it's to their, their flourishing. It's, it, it truly has their, their best interest in mind. It has the interest of the community in mind, the interest of the people in mind, it's, and it's to their, their, their flourishing. We should be able to rest in authority. Yes. We should be able to trust authority. But to, to truly see the beauty of authority, we got to look past the flesh. We have to look past man. Yes. To actually see the true beauty of authority, we have to remove the filters of the broken expression of authority that we, that we look through. And we have to peer and look at God as the ultimate point of authority. Now, when we slow down and we look at God as the ultimate point of authority, again, like I said, these, these, these kids who represent us, they remembered how authority was expressed. Now, when we look at God... We see that God expressed authority through love. Come on. Come on. So our first, yes. our first session was, was love, yes. right? Yes. They remembered specific people that popped up inside of their minds. Yes. See, when we walk in authority the way God has called, a person should pop inside their, their minds, and that person is actually Jesus, yes. right? Working in and through us through 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 you so a person should pop in mind but a person should be Jesus loving through us and, and, and walking through it you look through scripture and out of his love and embodiment God would give his words of authority to us and we find that inside the Bible as a matter of fact there's a spot in John 17 right verses 13 to 14. And, and the context here is Jesus is sending his, his disciples out into this world. And he knows the depths of brokenness that's inside of this world. And he starts praying to the Father for them. And here's what he says while he's praying to the Father. He says, but now I'm coming to you. He's talking to the Father. And these things that I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
He says that he has given them, like, I'm sending you out into the world. I know the depths of things, but, but, but for your flourishing, for, 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 I'm giving you the word. I, and he's saying to God, I gave it to them. I gave them your word. This is to his glory and our flourishing so that his joy will be fulfilled in us. So today, the third installment inside this series is the Bible. We want to slow down and just talk about the Bible as the authority, the authoritative word that, that, that God has given to us, right? His people out of his depths of love for us, right? And there's this statement that we're making all the way throughout the, our campuses, and the statement is this. In a world that dismisses the scriptures as untrue, out of touch, and not to be taken seriously, we believe the Bible is God's authoritative word. So that to disbelieve or disobey the scriptures is to disbelieve or disobey God. Now we know that these are, are huge words that, that are very countercultural, that are very controversial. We know that because... because Culture teaches opposite. As a matter of fact, culture teaches us, at, at, at times, culture, like, in schools, they will literally teach you that, oh, the Bible is, is false, it's, it's fiction, and, 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 and to cause you to, to not believe in it. And then the comprehensive brokenness of culture makes it difficult to believe and submit to the truth and authority of Scripture. Yeah. When we see the depths of brokenness, when we see how bad things are and, 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 and how far gone things are inside of culture, and, and, and it makes it really difficult. And it reminds me of Paul discipling Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So we're going to work through 2 Timothy chapter 3, but I want to read verses 1 through 5. He's talking to Timothy and he says, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Like I said, it's difficult for people to even submit to it. Why? For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive. That's where the abusive authority comes inside there. Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, yeah. having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Then he says, son, avoid such people. That's, that's where we live. Yeah. Like, Every single one of those that was just mentioned, every single one of the us have experienced all those things in different people, in different ways, shapes, and forms. And I would love to say just outside of the church. I would love to. But history tells me different. Experiences tell me different. Even inside of the church, we've seen these type of, type of things, right? The appearance of a form of godliness, denying the power, refusing to admit and submit to the authority of Scripture. And it casts a, a huge shadow of doubt. And all this stuff gets characterized by the wickedness and rebellious spirit of our time. 
And I want you to think about when you face something like this, and if you could imagine in your, in your mind's eye just Paul, a father to Timothy, speaking these words, it could feel overwhelming. This is the world we live in. If you just took this out of, uh, of what we're reading in Scripture and just kind of took it out of history, we could write all of those things now. All of them. And we can feel really overwhelmed, not only because of the culture we're in, but our participation in these things. So what does Paul do? He doesn't just end there. He actually takes his son in the ministry. He takes Timothy back into the narrative. This is important for us, and I wanted to say this before we read it. He takes him back into the narrative because there's something that the narrative does. It's important not to just get caught in these times, but to zoom out and see the whole narrative because what happens when you see the narrative is the the narrative shows us the character of God, the pattern of sin, and the tactics of the enemy. When you can look back at the whole story, you can see who God is. Well, God always exercises his authority through his word. From the beginning, he spoke everything into existence. When he spoke, it happened. All of this that we are living in is a product of submission to the authority of God. Everything declares God made this. He exercised it. Then all throughout Scripture, he continues to lead through his word, prophesy through his word, teach, instruct through his word. Jesus is the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. The word took on flesh and dwelt among us. The word is what the disciples would say as Peter's standing on the edge of the boat. Say the word and I'll step out. What the centurion's servant said, say the word and my servant will be healed. Say the word. You have to understand the power of God's word comes from his character. But not only do we see the character, we see that pattern that you feel overwhelmed in right now going, it's worse than it's ever been. Well, actually, no. If you read the narrative, it's not worse than it's ever been. It's always been this bad. And we get so overwhelmed, I don't know if God knows how to handle these times. He's really never faced such difficulties. This is really dark and really bad. Everything's overwhelming and just all falling apart. Is God losing control? I don't know if he knows how to handle it. This is a technology age. God doesn't know how to handle technology age. But Paul says, listen, I'm not blind to all that's happening, but I want to take you back into the narrative. And look how he does. He does it this way. For among them are those who are creepy. I like this. They creep. (laughs) Creepy who creep into the house and capture weak women. Now, I want, we're going to talk about this in a minute. And burden them with sin and lead them astray in various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Always learning, but never getting anywhere. 
This talks about creepy dudes who like to sneak into weak women and capture them. This is honestly supposed to remind you of the first creeper who came into the garden and starts talking to a woman right in front of her husband and starts saying, did God really say? And what does he start going after? Her passions. No, God, God just doesn't want you to be happy. You've got all these passions and he's holding you back. And so he entices her and leads her astray. Look at what the next part of the narrative goes into. See, because what you have to understand, the, en- the narrative shows us the enemy loves to attack weak and vulnerable people by creeping in to ple- people who are under authority. He doesn't go to people in. He goes to those who are under, and he creeps, he slithers. And he attacks the weak and the vulnerable. He's creeping. But the next part of this narrative shows us this. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, now this is a part of the narrative. What does he do? He takes them back into the narrative and reminds them of two dudes. Now, he didn't just go after weak women. He wasn't bombing on women. He was saying that there's also these men, these dudes who have opposed Moses. And so these men opposed the truth, men corrupt in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far. Notice the hope here. They won't get very far, for their folly will be plain to all. And so you go, well, who are these dudes he's talking about? Well, actually, they're not even mentioned in Scripture. So you can't find them and go, well, where does the Bible say about these guys? Matter of fact, you have to understand the cultural context of the time and what the rabbis were teaching at this time of who these guys were. There's actually a part of Jewish tradition that these two were the ones who came in when Moses was trying to say, this is, let my people go. And then he would throw a rod down and it turned into a snake and he'd go, oh yeah, let bring in the sorcerers. These guys who would throw their snake, their rod down and go, we can do it too. Until their power ran out and they couldn't accomplish in their own trickery. There's also a part of the teaching we won't get into that says they actually ended up being covered by the Passover lamb and going out with the children of Israel and were the ones who whispered into Aaron's ear, you should build a calf. These ones here were actually a part of trying to prove this next attack of the enemy. The enemy loves to show us a form of godliness that has no power. He wants us to think we can do it on our own. We don't need to be submitted to any authority. We will do it in our own strength and in our own power. Now, you would go, well, why does the enemy attack this way? Paul takes Timothy back into the narrative to show that this is happening now. The enemy doesn't have to change his tactics because it keeps working. All he has to do is whisper this into our ears, this reality of what are you craving 
and you can do it on your own. The enemy did it to Jesus, the same temptation pattern. He was led by the Spirit out into the desert to be tempted, not in a garden, in a desert. And the Scripture says he was hungry. After 40 days of not eating, he was hungry, which just shows he was weak and he was tired. And right at his point of weakness and tiredness, what ends up happening? The enemy comes and says, hey, turn these stones. If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into, what is he doing? He's questioning the identity. If you are, not because you are, if you are. Just like he said, in the garden. Questioning if they were really in the likeness or form of God. And what he ends up doing is the, Jesus refutes that attack by saying, it is written. It is written. Man does not live by bread alone. Then he takes him again and tempts him again. And Satan loves using scripture because there was a, there, <laughs> there was a recent tweet out from our president's son who said, oh, well, Satan never uses scripture. And then a lot of people are like, actually, Satan loves to use scripture. He uses it a lot. He, there's, there's quite a few places. He loves to distort scripture. And, 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 and what ends up happening inside of this is what he does is he goes, doesn't it say this? And then inside of it he says, if you will jump here, God, won't he take care of you and his angels will rescue you? What is he questioning? Can they protect you? If you do whatever you want, will they still protect you? He questions the same thing, and Jesus responds the same way, and actually he says it a little bit different. Instead of saying, it is written, he says, it is written again. Let me just go back to the word. Let me once again proclaim the word, appealing to your cravings and appealing to whether you could do whatever you want and if the Father will still care for you. Church, if we understand the power of God's word and the, uh, the reality of we can start to understand why America is so easily being, they are falling into the tactics of the enemy, appealing to this. You can take whatever you want and make it into whatever you want. Appealing to our cravings. There's nothing that we cannot do. It says we can do it on our own. If we really are the sons of God, we should be able to take this and make it into this. We have a, a bunch of people who are always learning and trying to find the truth. We have made ourselves seekers of the truth rather than those who are rooted and grounded in the truth. We're constantly seeking after truth rather than understanding, no, the people of God are not seeking truth, they're living from truth. We have a deep, strong conviction and core, and what ends up happening is we're constantly going, well, what is my craving and what do I want? I will change it. And so what we're doing is determining what we think is good. And so far, what we have done is not only said, you know what, I don't like that God made me this way, so I'll be this way. I don't like the gender God gave me, so I'll change that. I don't like the destiny God gave me, so I'll change that. I don't like this that God gave me. My, my, I don't like anything that God, I don't like the color of my skin. I don't like anything that God, I don't like what, I will change this stone because it's my desire, my craving, my, we're searching for our identity in our cravings. 
we're never finding. We're looking in our hungers for who we are. And the enemy just keeps going, what do you want? What's your hunger? And the next thing he does is, if you just do whatever you want, won't he just protect you? Won't he just forgive? There's no need to follow him. There's no need to live under his authority. Won't he just, just do whatever you want? And he'll, his angels. And the ultimate reality of this is that the last temptation is what the enemy really wants from you is your worship. He wants your worship. And hear me on this, church. The enemy shows that his, net, his tactics have not changed, and we have not, because when Jesus was tempted, he continued to use this line, it is written, and I would just encourage you, brothers and sisters, if you do not have a firm grasp on the it is written, and you're going after what do I feel, what are my cravings, what do I want to do, what are my actions, what are my feelings, and if you don't have a firm, solid foundation of it is written, you will not be able to withstand the day of the enemy's attack. You won't be able to do it. You have to have this solid foundation. It's a man. We're talking about the authority of Scripture, yeah. right? Let's go back into that narrative. Verses 10 to 12, he, he, he continues to talk to, to Timothy. He says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Continue what you have learned and what you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You see, this is where it starts to get more controversial because Paul spends his time describing the, the patterns of this world and those that follow it and what the side effects are and what type of culture has been formed by this world that has, that has become super rebellious against the God that has created them, right? And then when he says, you, however, he makes a distinction. And many people feel like, well, that's alienating, but that's loving, you, however, he's talking to yes. Timothy, yes. but while he's talking to Timothy, I want us to understand he's talking to us. Yes. You, however, yes. you, however, and then if that's not you, it's, it's a call for you to line up with it. But you, however, have followed my teaching, yes. 
What was, what was Paul teaching? The word of God. He was teaching the Old, the Old Testament. He was, he was teaching the things that Jesus had showed him himself in the spirit. He was teaching them. You followed the teachings. He followed my conduct. This is the word of God in action. The word of God that set the pattern of how he lived. It's still all about the word of God. I'm teaching you the word of God. I'm teaching you the scriptures. But then you're also following how I'm living the scriptures. So there is still a teaching of scriptures by his conduct, how he is living into it. And if if he is paying attention, he is still learning my aim of life. What's his aim of life? The gospel. Yeah. Everything that I've been teaching you. So the direction that my life is going is in that direction. The aim of my life is the gospel, the scriptures, the word of God, my faith. What's my faith? I trust the word of God. His trust in the word of God. Then he says, My patience, my love, my steadfastness. What is he saying here? The Spirit of God is working inside of him. He's naming fruits of the Spirit here. So while you are reading the Scriptures and you're looking at the conduct of a life that's living out the Scriptures, in the midst of it, you are seeing the Spirit of God inside of my life. So you're seeing this patience, fruits of the Spirit, love, the steadfastness. You get to verses 11 and 12. And he, he, he starts teaching more. He says, even if trusting and following the word of God leads to suffering and persecution, it's going to come. It's going to happen. But know when it comes. Know when it happens. Let me give you my testimony. The Lord has been there for me. Jesus, you know. Remember back in Antioch? You, you remember back in all those places? You know. Jesus has been there. That's why I'm standing right here talking to you. So he's, he's equipping them with this hope in Jesus, even when it seems like everything is going wrong, but you're following and trusting Scripture, and you're living into it. And he keeps talking, though. He keeps talking because then everything looked like it's going Bad, and I'm trying to live into scripture. I'm trying to, I'm trying to trust God while wickedness and falsehood around us continues to flourish in this perpetual cycle of feeding itself, deceiving and being deceived. It, it seems like it's getting worse. Things seem like they're getting bad. Wickedness is, is feeding off of wickedness. But then he gets to 14 and 15 and he makes a distinction again. But... As for you, I know all that stuff is going on and things seem like the gap is getting bigger. But as for you, despite the patterns of this world, he calls us to continue. He says continue, 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 continue submitting to the authority of scripture. Continue firmly believing and trusting the word of God. Continue trust the saints who have passed the truth onto you, who've lived it out in front of you, who've been where you are at and have learned and they got the t-shirt that said Jesus was with me. Trust them. You see, what he's trying to say to them, as he's talking to Timothy, he's talking to us, he's saying trusting and walking out the truth of scripture makes you wise for salvation. 
You see, the practice, the practice of trusting the word of God, the practice of walking out the word of God, despite the perceived flourishing of wickedness, despite the persecution of publicly standing up for the word of God, despite that, listen, we got to get this, the practice of submitting to the authority of scripture forms us in a way that makes us wise in a world of folly, which is actually this. It's ultimately a reflection of our salvation in Christ alone. That's what it reflects. Like, I'm not standing on people wanting to, 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 to agree with me. That's not what it's rooted in. It's not rooted in my political party siding with me. So I'm going to stand on the word of God, even in a political party that, that sort of, that, I'm, that I lean towards. And if, if I got to call out the word of God, I'm going to call it out. Even you guys want to execute me and push me out. It's not about, about I'm not standing on, on, on different tribes. I'm not standing on myself. I'm not standing on this world. I'm standing on Christ alone. That's where my salvation is at. And he wants to rule him inside of this as he rules yes, us. Yes, yes. Church, as we look at his word, there is things here that Paul says to his son Timothy, son in the ministry. He says these things are what scriptures are for. And I want you to write these things down because we're not going to have a bunch of time to cover them. But I want you to me- spend time meditating this week on these things. First would be this. Write down scripture is breathed out by God. You see this pattern. We talked about this. God, God's word is God's word. That's the operative language there that we must know God in order for us to understand the power of what he is saying let me let me put it this way now I have a tendency to joke a lot and so because of that reputation when I say things serious sometimes people laugh thinking I'm joking That's because they're hearing my words based upon my reputation. Some people have a reputation for being smart. And even if they say something dumb, we think because they're smart, it must be smart. Some people, you want me to keep going? Some people have a reputation for being humble or meek. So even if they say something arrogant or proud based upon their reputation. You see, the reality is the only way we can understand the scriptures is if we understand who God is and his character. Because if you think of him distant and cold and, and, and kind of always business, hoping that you'll just follow his rules, then you will always think no matter what he says is being seen that way. But if you see him as a loving father who created you and cares deeply for you and loves you so much, you will think everything he says comes from that place. 
But I want you to notice this. God's word is breathed out. I love this language because this counteracts the new covenant is not a, a word written on stone. The new covenant is a word breathed. It's breathed out by God because there's something about the word that was on stone that felt like if you didn't follow it, it was going to crush you. But this word by the Spirit is breathed into us and written on our, our hearts. This is the kind of word you've got to get close to hear. Notice this. The reality of this makes us lean in to listen. Rather than sitting behind something and saying whatever. I I mean, church, I hope that you will hear me on this. When you are face-to-face and living, breathing person, you talk differently than when you're just writing stuff online. You do. And if you don't, you don't have a full picture of the Imago Dei. You should be softer and closer and nearer and breathing and in closeness because the way God delivers his word to us is not from a distance and cold. It's breathed. It's inspired. It's brought to us powerfully that we cannot understand it with just being distant from him because you just may hear the words but you won't. Get his heart. This is God breathed, God inspired, God empowered. Yes, what else does it say? It says, His word is profitable for teaching. See, Peter, in, in 2 Peter, he's talking and he, about scripture. He says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Yeah. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what happens when teaching is happening and it's profitable, there is this connection between the word of God and the spirit of God that knows the heart of the Father and is connecting us in relationship and the prophet there is, is, is being brought in. Being brought into deep relationship with God is profitable for teaching. Look at the prophet of Scripture. There's a teaching element, and this we won't spend much time on, but there's a reproof element. This is basically this. We won't go into it. Meditate on this. If it's really God's word coming from God, sometimes it will spank you. Your turn, Wayne. Listen, I mean, I, I wanted to talk more, but listen, not only that, it says for correction. You see, in order to correct something, you have to have a standard in which to correct it to, right? Otherwise, you'll be correcting things unto yourself, unto your own opinions, under just how you feel. We don't make ourselves the, the, the point of correction, but rather the Bible is the point of correction, The Bible is what you are correcting to. In Galatians 2 and 14, Paul has to reprove Peter and a bunch of Jews. And and, and when he does this, 
Paul doesn't go in and, 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 and calls them to, to himself as the point of correction. He doesn't say, hey, listen, 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 you need to line up with what I feel and what I think. Instead, in Galatians 2 and 14, he says, their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. That's the point that, that, that he's drawing and he's saying, we need to be called unto this. So correction, that's what it's for. And training. I want you to look at these words, teaching, reproof, correction, and training. If anybody is using the word just for one of these, they are mishandling it. Let me say that again. Because the one that everybody wants to do is spank. Everybody wants to take the word and just go ham on everybody, spank and go off. The reality is this work of reproof has to be connected to correction and training. Listen, I hope you're wise enough to know you shouldn't be spanking other people's kids. I hope you're wise enough to know you shouldn't be disciplining other people's kids. Why? Because you don't just get the right to come in and go off on someone else's kids when you're not walking with them and training them and navigating them down the street. The reality is parenting or leading or caring is far more than just disciplining or or telling someone no. Look at this. Actually, it's just one part of four ministries. The whole ministry is this, not just one. That if we are going to be a profitable group of people, we're going to understand Scripture's been given to us to teach us, to, tr- to, to tell us no, and then to put us in the right direction, and then to train us in how to do it, not just say figure it out yourself. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey. This is discipling. This is walking alongside of. This is doing what Paul did for Timothy. Who said, you watched me. You walked with me. You saw me go through persecution. You walked the road with me. You saw all of these things. And listen, be careful of someone who just likes correcting. every Or not correcting. There's a difference between correcting and reproof. Just somebody who thinks their full ministry is reproof. You're liking it too much there, sir. You're liking just yelling at everybody too much. No, the parental function is full care, correction, and training, and training them in what? In righteousness. They already are righteous because they're a part of the family. And now we're training them in the righteousness they already possess because of Christ. But here's the why. Here's the why. All this stuff sets up to a why. That, 17, here's the why. That... The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Complete. When he says, so that the man of God may be complete, so that they may be whole. We are walking around lopsided, incomplete. And, and, but the word of God makes us whole. Do all this so they can be whole. 
and in this being whole and in this, this learning and in this training and all these things, it equips them. It prepares them. It gives them the tools. Tools for what? For every good work. You see, in Ephesians 2 and 10, Paul is teaching, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk inside, walk in them. Listen, this is saying, listen, before the foundations of this world, God knew us and he loved us and he purposed inside of his heart and his minds things that he would have us do. And inside there, inside there, you learn these good works. Where? Scripture. God has a plan and he has a purpose, but, but we want to go outside of Scripture to try to find our purpose and, and, and plan and try to attach things on us that aren't a part of what God is doing. But God says before, 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 before I made the planets and the moons and the stars, I knew you. And I purpose inside of my heart the thing that you would do. And I have, I'm equipping you with it. I'm equipping you for it through scripture, through the giftings I give to you. So we go to scripture to learn these things that we can walk in what we was called to walk in and be equipped to do it well. I want you to read this and then close your eyes. We're called to rest under the authority of God's word. I want you to close your eyes for a minute and picture in your mind's eye, if you could, something as we come to the table. I, I remember my reaching the age of 13 where I obviously knew everything and could run my own life. And so my parents bought me a green BMX bike, lime green. Said, you're, you're old enough to start riding to school and I started taking that bike out, not just to school, but I started taking it out because I wanted to be free. I wanted to do what I want, and I wanted to ride those streets. I wanted to live my life. And I was out riding that bike, and all of a sudden I looked at somebody on the side of the road. It was some teenagers or something. They were standing there with long black jackets on, and I stared at them a little too long. They, they, they thought I was mad-dogging them. I was actually wanting to see how impressed they were with my bike. And one of the kids yelled out, go get them. And they all jumped on their bike. There was like three of them, and they all start chasing me. And all of a the sudden, there was nothing more that I wanted than to be back home. The very home I was trying to run from, the very home I was trying to get away from, I hightailed it back. They're chasing me. I put everything on that one speed I could and just went at it. I actually threw my bike on the grass waiting for them to steal it. I didn't care if it got stolen. I didn't care if it got taken. And I ran inside and fell on the couch and just rested because I knew I was safe. See, the reality is the very thing that you are running from, trying to run your own life and doing your own thing and living life your own way, and choosing your own cravings and what all the things you want, you actually are exhausted and tired because you have always learning and never knowing truth. The truth. Yes, we grow up. Yes, we mature. Yes, we learn. But we're not learning 
for, we're learning from. We're learning from the truth of God. We're learning from this place of stability and protection and hope. And so you come to the table today, you get to say, it is written. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If you are tired and exhausted, this meal is not just something to be spoken. It's something to partake of. It's something for you to come and say, I'm hungry for your word. If his word is bread to us, we should be eating it like manna daily. We should be partaking in it. We should be drinking deeply of it. We should be partaking of his flesh and eat, drinking of his blood, knowing how much grace and help we need and even understanding it. We need his spirit. And as you come to this table, you are making a sign of rest and submission to say, God, I trust your word. I'm repenting of trying to run my own life and do my own thing. I trust you. And you're recognizing that I'm only satisfied by your blood and your body. The tables are open. Please come and fellowship at the table. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. 